Well, again, it's a great, it's a great privilege to be with you and to welcome those visiting today, especially moms and grandmoms and great-grandmoms. We're glad to have you here. Last week, we had a wonderful, to, to my way of thinking, we had a wonderful visiting preacher, a young 29-year-old uh, preacher who came all the way from Thailand to be with me and others for a week of global missionary meetings here in our own little part of the world. And Isaac Lasky preached a wonderful sermon last week on the first part of John's Gospel, chapter 21. And if, if you weren't here, I would really urge you to go to the CT, Christ the King Grace website or Christ the King Grace YouTube or one of those things. I don't know how it all works. Uh, but I think we have a YouTube, ch- YouTube channel where all the sermons get uploaded. So if you go to uh, CTK Grace YouTube, you end up with our site and you can get that sermon. Uh, it was a wonderful sermon. But in the midst of it, or in his introduction, he said, now I'll save the rest of the story for next week's preacher. Well, I wasn't going to go here. But immediately I felt like this was the place to go. And I had not realized when I, when I had that in experience inwardly as Isaac was preaching last week, um, I didn't realize that this Sunday in the new Book of Common Prayer, which we've only had for a couple of years, this Sunday every year, the fourth Sunday of Easter, is, is now designated always as Good Shepherd, Good Shepherd Sunday. So obviously men must have devised this, this plan and forgotten that in the middle of May, it's always Mother's, Mother's Day, right? So the preacher in me is, is, in, is in that kind of conflict that can only come to a pastor. Everything in my pastor heart wants to go, oh, Peter, call of Jesus, Peter's denial and restoration. This is making Peter a pastor, a shepherd, I'm called to be a shepherd. The letter that Lori read, the beautiful, beautiful passage from 1 Peter, his letter near the end of his life when he's a completely changed man. Completely changed man from the impetuous Rocky of the early days. He's, he's a deeply, deeply devoted, humble man, aware, I'm sure, all the days of his life of the great betrayal and his denial of his Lord. And so the pastor in me wants to to grab that. And then I go, oh, but it's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. I know I've told you all about one of my first experiences with being on my own as a young minister of the gospel. And it was Pentecost Sunday, and boy, was I ready for that. And I I preached the greatest Pentecost sermon ever preached. Humbly. Um, only to be told by people as they were exiting the church that day, you forgot mothers. So by God's grace, I don't think I've ever forgotten. But the instinct of a pastor is to, is to, is to speak into this gospel and this epistle that are set for today. But in the culture, it's Mother's Day, right? So here we are in that tension. But I want to suggest to you that rightly hearing what this gospel says, and rightly hearing what this epistle says, and rightly even understanding that short, sweet Psalm 133 
about how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. That all of that encompasses why this day is so precious to us. This day that we keep in our culture as Mother's Day. So I'm gonna try to tread my way through that. So mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and all of you who remember on this day your, your own mother, uh, pray for me as I, as, I, as I walk this narrow path. I wanna ask you three questions and, and leave you, I hope, answering them or pondering them in your heart as you leave today and in the days ahead. The first question is, do you love your mother? You who are here today, do you love your mother? The second question is, do you love your Lord? And the third question is, do you love your Lord's church? Do you love your mother? Do you love your Lord? Do you love your Lord's church? I know the answer to the first question. It's obvious. Everyone is here today in some measure, either consciously or or perhaps if your mother's long gone or you're a long way away, most everyone that walked through these doors this morning is aware of Mother's Day and loves their mother. Or, as is my case and my dear Cynthia's case, the memory of your mother. And, And it's universal. Godly people love their mother, and ungodly people love their mother. Christians love their mothers, and non-Christians love their mothers. People who want the will of God in this land, and people who don't want the will of God in this land, generally love their mothers. The answer is obvious when you say, do you love your mother? When we were young, Cynthia and I were young in the ministry, we had a wonderful pastoral priest who was responsible for trying to help help us adjust to America, having come home from six years in England and having the task of helping me learn how to be a, a, a priest, a minister of the gospel here in this country. And he used to contrast fathers and mothers this way. He would say, um, a, a mother is the gateway to life and a father is the gateway to the world. And he would, he would illustrate that by talking about unconditional love, which is so characteristic of mothers, and conditional love, which is meant to be and is usually very characteristic of, fa- of fathers. And that we need both, that, that without both, there's, there's a gap in our hearts and a gap in our lives. If we don't understand what it is to be loved unconditionally, we are impoverished human beings. And if we don't understand that the world will not love us unconditionally, the world will, will pay attention to our behavior. The world will pay attention to do we obey the rules? Are we following the law? I had a a hello, John, from a policeman yesterday morning in Myrtle Beach as I was doing a good deed and taking an, a, a man to the airport in Wilmington who had had his flight canceled in Myrtle Beach and just thinking I was just as happy as I could be and all at once the blue light pulled me over. 
and said, you don't have your little sticker on your license plate. I said, oh, I have it right here. I have it right here. And I did. I had it in an envelope. It's my fault. I've had it in that envelope sticking there, and I hadn't put it on. But I had scraped off all the old years. And, of course, by scraping off all the old years, I made it obvious that there was a, there was a white square there, right? But I was so confident, I handed him the envelope, and he opened it, and he said, this is not for this car. <laughs> and I had Cynthia's sticker for her little mini instead of my sticker for the forerunner. And do you know what? He had no pity on me. <laughs> he, he gave me a ticket. And uh, of course, it's gonna cost me unless I wanna go and try to make a case in court, which is probably more trouble than it's worth to go all the way up, up there. But, but that's the world. The world doesn't care that I, I meant well. The world doesn't care that I was thinking I had my sticker even in my car. Uh, the, 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 the world goes, you broke the law, you pay the fine. So a child that doesn't learn that is going to have a terrible life, right? We, we know that. But a child who is not loved by their mother is crippled forever. Most mothers, God intends for all mothers to love unconditionally. And and it's, it, the reason it's present in all human beings is because God made women to be mothers. I didn't invent this. God did. And every one of us is alive because a mother carried us in her womb and loved us even before we were born. Many of us had mothers who prayed for us while we were in the womb, thanked God for us in the womb, began to commit us to God in the womb. And then when we were born, she it was who enfolded us. Oh, you can get a dad to hold that little baby at the hospital. You can get a dad to hold that little baby a little bit. But you know and I know it is the mother who will hold that child to her heartbeat, moment after moment, day after day. Overwhelmingly, it will be a mother who awakens in the night and draws the child to her breast. It's the mother who is nurturing and caring for us as we are beginning our journey in life. And we learn from a mother's love something, however imperfectly, we learn something of what it means just to be loved because of who we are, not because of anything we do. You are my son, I love you. You are my daughter, I love you. Bob Gerhard, that, that rector I referred to earlier, uh, used to say, you never see fathers outside the prison walking around with signs saying, don't put my son to death. It's always mothers. The fathers know what they did and have had it. It's always mothers pleading with the governor, pleading with the, the media for, the, for, the, for their child, no matter what they've done. And that's, that's an image of unconditional love. Of course we love our mothers. Thank God we love our mothers. How horrid, how horrid to imagine a mother who does not love her children. 
When we were young, Cynthia and I were uh, privileged to be in a small English town when Mother Teresa of Calcutta came to, to, to give a talk in the great cathedral. And um, we had, Cynthia, correct me if I'm wrong, we had at least one child, maybe we had both boys by then. I'm not sure if both of our children had been born. Cynthia's head's nodding. So, so, so Dad stayed home with the two boys so that Cynthia could go to the cathedral and hear Mother Teresa of Calcutta speak and stand in line with thousands of people until she had the chance to shake her hand. And she has told me all through the years that Mother Teresa said that night, there may be unwanted pregnancies, but there are no unwanted children. Bring them to me. She invited the whole world to bring children to her if they were not wanted. She was an instrument of God. Do you love your Lord? I know you love your mother. Do you love your Lord? And the answer when you ask that question is not so obvious. It's not so obvious. But Jesus tells us how we know. How we know if we love our Lord. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's pretty straightforward. If you know his commandments and you don't keep them, he's saying very clearly, you don't really love me. If you love me, you keep my commandments. I have not spoken anything to you that my father has not spoken. My words to you are the words of God. My commandments to you are the commandments of God. The commandments given to you are from God. If you love me, you will keep them. You will keep them. So in some sense, it's the flip side, isn't it? There's the unconditional side. You're just loved. I know you fell in, in the mud again. I know you made a mistake again. I know you lied again. I know you cheated again. I know you did it again, but you're loved. And now, but if you love me, you keep my commandments. That's the sign. That's the unmistakable reality. If you love me, Jesus says, you keep my commandments. And so we can imagine, I can imagine, I, I suspect most of us in this room can imagine, how painful it was for Peter. How painful it must have been for Peter. When Jesus said, Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know I do. Okay, then take care of my sheep. Peter, I'm sure, hoping that was the end of it. Jesus asked him a second time. And then the third time. And Peter is deeply grieved. It doesn't say in the scriptures that he teared up. We know he wept when he realized what he had done. I suspect he wept the third time that Jesus asked him. Do you love me? And you know, probably all of you, you've heard other preachers say it, as long as there is life on earth, preachers will point it out. He denied Jesus three times, and he is restored, really, by the three questions. They're the, they're the complement to his denials. 
And another of my teachers, a wonderful teacher, said uh, to me years ago, this is the moment that Peter ceased to be a fisherman and became a shepherd. This is the moment Peter ceased to be a a fisherman. Of course, the fishing that Jesus had called him to do from the beginning was to catch men. And that's a shepherd's task, men and women. We, we used to sing a song um, when I was young in the faith uh, that had a refrain. To know him, meaning to know Jesus, is to love him. To know him is to love him. And to serve him is to know his freedom. To keep the commandments of God out of love that has been showered on us by God is freedom. It is not a burden. It it is a joy. Do you love me? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then the third question for today, the pastor in me asks, do you love the Lord's church? If if you and, and I call our faith loving the Lord Jesus Christ, do we love his church? Now, sometimes when I have new members classes, and I hope we'll be having one soon, if there's, if there's anyone new today that would like to participate in that, I sometimes ask, how many churches are there in this zip code? And it's fun to get the answers, uh, because there are a lot of buildings in this zip code <laughs> where Christians gather. And after everyone is answered, I tell them, there's only one church in this zip code. There's only one church in Georgetown County. There's only one church in this state. There's only one church in this nation. There's only one church in the world. Now, institutionally and denominationally and organizationally, Christians, because they're sinners. (laughs) Sinners of all. We divide up, and we slice up, and we separate up. And then when we get far enough away from the people we don't like, or that we don't want to be around, or that we've never forgiven, we get content with our worship of God and, and, and being nice to one another. But the question is, do you love the Lord's church? The church of Jesus Christ is not a denomination. It it is not an institution. It is not an organization. It is a family. It is a family of believing men and women. And when, in any way, shape, or form, we begin to not love and learn to love those who also claim to be the followers of the same Lord that we claim to be followers of. If we are not able to forgive, if we keep holding grudges, if we keep separating ourselves at the grocery store or in a a public arena, we prove before God 
that we have a very weak understanding of our calling as Christians. Paul once said that he thought the apostles had been called by God to be fools before the world because the world hates the gospel. It's not neutral about the gospel. And as America repaganizes, it's really obvious if you're a serious Christian. If you'll shut up, if you'll be quiet, if you'll make no noise, if you don't care how the country's led, if you don't care how the schools work, if you don't care how anything matters, and you want to go somewhere secret on Sunday and say your prayers, nobody will bother you. But if you take seriously everything the Holy Scripture says, try to live it, try to speak it, try to bring it into the sphere of your life, you will discover in a short short measure, the world hates the gospel. And there's a battle. There's a battle between life and death, between truth and falsehood that's playing out before our eyes in a ways that very few of us ever imagined we'd live to see. The church of Jesus Christ are the people of God who submit to the word of God, who love the word of God, who love the commandments of God, who don't break the word of God. A Christian who intentionally breaks the word of God is either not a Christian or in great jeopardy of forfeiting their salvation. It's not a small matter. I participated in a funeral this week which was filled with men and women remembering a fine life, a friend of mine, a friend perhaps of many in this room. It was certainly the largest gathering of Christians I've ever been a part of in the 28 years that I've lived here. It was a standing room only, packed, packed house overflowing into other buildings. Police were there to control the traffic. Cars were parked everywhere. And yet, knowing what I know after 28 years in this community, there were people in there who did not want to have to talk to or sit beside or encounter other people in there. There were people who wanted to get out of there as quickly as they could, having done their duty without having to face people they don't forgive, people they still dislike, people they have great animosity against, parents and children, brothers and sisters, clergy, pretending in the household of God. Jesus is very clear. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you can't forgive, you won't be forgiven. If you haven't understood forgiving, you'll never be forgiven. The world does not love your mother or mine. The world does not love your Lord and mine. The world certainly doesn't love the Lord's church. But may God have mercy upon us when we demonstrate our unfaithfulness to an unbelieving world. 
dear, dear Peter, one more story is coming. And because of dear Isaac Lasky, I feel compelled to stay in John 21 for one more week. And we'll hear one more story of Peter. Um, But today's story ends beautifully with the very words that Jesus said to Simon, son of Jonah, on the first day they met. Follow me, Simon. If you want to enter into life, follow me. If, If you want to know what true life is meant to be, you come follow me. And that's what Jesus speaks to us here at CTK Grace. That's what he's speaking to all these faithful people, wherever they are in the world, men and women, mothers and fathers, uncles, aunts, unmarried, widowed, divorced, doesn't matter. He's saying to us, wherever you are now, life is following me. And I'll know you're mine as I watch how you follow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.